Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Hey, Danny. Uh Welcome back to the uh, Gov Actually podcast. We are in day 22 of the federal shutdown when we're recording this, but we talked a little bit beforehand. You, you think you have a big idea how to prevent this from happening again. I think um, right now- No, I no, no, no. I don't know how to prevent this from happening again. If I uh, gave it some time, maybe I could think of that. I have an idea for how to solve this shutdown that we're in, but- um, but before I get there, just to add suspense, I mean, I think we should let people know that this is a th- this is a podcast first for us, which is I'm no longer sitting at a table, looking across and and seeing your your, your beautiful face. Um, yeah, well, that's a huge upgrade right there. Exactly, we we have entered the realm of remote podcasting. Um, so you're West Coast, I'm East Coast. Um, so hopefully, you know, hopefully the podcast is as good as all of our other podcasts. Um, but just and, thought, and since you're three hours ahead of me, can you tell me what the future holds for us? <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't divulge uh, that. Uh, um, all right, so the pot, so, so the, the government shutdown and my, so it strikes, I, I keep coming back to the fact that, that the debate, I've, I've thought about you know, the, the bargaining zone and, and where to land a solution. And so, so tell me what you think about this. Well, wait a second. I mean, this is a, this is the podcast about how government actually works and we try to stay away from people and politics and, and try to focus on the mechanics and the underlying systems and how they work. So, um, it sounds like you're, you're, you're dangerously close to, um, to further uncharted territory for the Gov Actually podcast. It's, it's, Maybe. I don't know. I just have a, a no, no, I think this this is this is a very, I think, nonpartisan uh, solution. Well let, you you can give me feedback on it. Um, so there seems to be agreement on border security as a as an important priority and and worth investment. And the issue is uh, really the, the, the where we place our money within the bo- within the border security portfolio of things you can do. Whereas one side wants to invest in the physical barrier, uh, the uh, the White House and the Republicans, and the other side uh, believes that uh, that that money w- would not be well spent on a barrier and sees. Uh, to use more technical terms, higher return on investment if the funds are spent on other types of uh, border security activities. Well, I, I would say the issue is probably vastly more nuanced than that. But for the sake of argument, let's say that is the okay. um, that is the dichotomy. So, so my question is, is, is or my idea is that you fund a a you know a pool of resources that uh that are intended to address border security and some of it is in and and there's flexibility essentially in how those funds can be used 
but that the executive branch that, or whoever's administering the funds, the Department of Homeland Security, let's say, that they have to essentially issue a report to Congress um, in a short period of time that describes their, you know, their business case for how the money is going to be spent to, with the highest potential impact. And, um, and so there is, you know, so, so on the one hand, there is funding that's now available for a barrier potentially if there's alignment that the, um, that the analysis that's done does show where the ROI is, the return on investment or the impact. Um, and so, and so one side of the aisle can claim, Hey, we did get funding for a barrier or a wall, but the other side can say, take their, take away, uh, their own win from the equation and say, we funded border security, but there's an open question that remains in terms of how the executive branch is going to work through the public policy and the analyses for for what the best use of that money is. And I can envision a, a report to Congress, let's say in 60 days, um, that outlines the um, how they decided to best spend the money. I could see congressional hearings and, and vetting of, of whether those decisions and the analyses that went into the impact of those funds. And I know that, that in some ways I'm kicking the can down the road a bit, but it is a a legislative construct that allows both sides to walk away. One side saying, look, I got funding for the board for, that authorizes me to, to build a, a wall or a barrier, uh, even though there's some more work to be done on an underlying analytics. And it allows the other side to say, uh, th- there's not a definitive approval of barrier funding. There's border security. And there are scenarios in which we move forward and all that money is spent on other uh, other things with 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 other types of impact. So, okay, I'll pause there. That's so my. I, I I think that there is a there is a lot that comes off of um, of this conversation. I think there there are many many vectors from from this idea. So, first of all, I think the um, the the you should be um, you should be complimented for having an idea and being willing to state it within the context of such a partisan. Um, dispute. I think that that's one of the big problems right now in the discussion debate is no one is bringing ideas, right? Because it really has become this binary decision of who wins and who loses. And in any negotiation to successfully get to an outcome, both sides have to feel like they walk away with something. So I think you, you've hit on one key point to resolving not just this shutdown, but future shutdowns and future frankly, impasses is how do p- both sides walk away with feeling like they, they, um, they save some face and, and got something, particularly in a divided government. So when, you're, when one party has the House, the other has the Senate and the presidency, um, unless there's some path that includes both sides winning, nothing gets done. And when nothing gets done in the instance of a shutdown, it stays shut down. Right. And what I was suggest that's why I was suggesting, is there a way to create, uh, to, to reopen the, the government uh, around a legislative framework that uh, creates a bit of murkiness, actually, in terms of the winners and the losers, uh, because cause there's different interpretations based on, on what I described. And I actually, I, 
I think it's it's fairly nonpartisan. My idea anchors to um, to to a set of activities that force more analytics and thinking and assessment of impact and outcome of of the way government dollars are spent. So it drives so, it drives so more talk- to an evidence based review. So it opens the door. Sure. But let's talk about the mechanics of that, and and I think what some of the challenges and limitations are. There's a set of political and and personality challenges that revolve around trust and good faith and partisanship. We'll put that into another bucket and let another podcast cover that. But I think that there's some there's some interesting um, uh, mechanical challenges that could be overcome because I've I've seen them overcome in the past, but could present the problem. So for instance, um, once Congress appropriates the money, actually, uh, the, the, the constitutional law says that the, that the president, the executive has the discretion to spend it. And so while there is, you know, in your construct, this mechanism for a report, et cetera, et cetera, it is well within the authority of the executive to then go and if they feel like there's a, enough of a appropriation or a th- authorization, if they have the authority to just go in one unilateral direction, they can do that. There are instances, and when I ran the GSA, we had one where we needed to bring all leases to the Congress for their review, but it wasn't a constitutionally supported practice. It was one based on longstanding practice between the executive and the Congress based on this notion of comedy, this idea that we would work collectively together um, in exchange for Congress not line-iteming the the lease budget for the GSA, we would let them look at the leases. But we didn't have to. And so what you need, an essential ingredient this, of this then is, is trust and a relationship and, and comedy. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So it's a really important question. Um, so going back to my example or my, my idea, if you will, um, let's say it's like, okay, so there's money that's generally authorized for a variety of different uh, border security activities, one of which is potentially a barrier. But my point was, before you would spend any money on a barrier, you would get a, um, a, a plan that would be sent to Congress. And in my mind, the plan would have to be approved by Congress, by maybe like a, maybe a, a select committee or some type of super committee, if you will, would have to approve the plan. And once that plan is approved... Um, then then you move forward with whatever was approved. And, and in theory, the plan would be, you know, the, the, the Congress and the committee would hold the executive branch accountable to make sure that the plan was evidence-based and analytical and explained where, where yeah, the highest impact is, would have. But you're saying this that, is, that the Congress this is where the com- Yeah, this is the, they can do that, but the president doesn't have to play along. This is where the complications of appropriation laws come in. And then the separation of the Congress into authorizers and appropriators. Appropriation is really kind of a one-way thing. You know, they can put all the limits they want on, on appropriation. But once Congress has given the executive the money, 
declared what the executive needs to do, it's, it's kind of up to the executive to do it. In fact, there's a law called the Anti-Impoundment Act that says if the president doesn't spend the money, that that's actually a violation of, you know, of the law. That's a crime too. So, you know, you know, geeky, um, longstanding practitioners of this art, dark art, uh, and, and listeners to Gov Actually podcast spend a lot of time talking about the Anti-Deficiency Act, which says you can't spend money you don't have, which is why we have a shutdown. Right. But the, but the mirror image, the secret one is the Anti-Impoundment Act, which says you have to spend money that you do have. And so, um, I just think that while it is something that could be done and has been done, and in many cases, you know, the, the, the federal government works like this all the time, it has an inherent supposition of trust that goes with it that um, is really hard to introduce into, a, into a, an atmosphere like this. Yeah, because, all right, I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I understand that the flaw would be, that potentially constitutionally, once this gambit that I'm recommending is passed, that the executive branch may make a, a, a play that that regardless of the committee approving or disapproving the report, constitutionally we can now spend the money. But yeah, if, or if that we could send the- you we could send you a report that says anything in the world, and you can't reclaim the money without a without the passage of a rescission, right? Then you'd have to actually rescind the money. Yeah. So yeah. In, a, in a world in which, um, in a world which it was more robust than, than that, and there really was a, uh, um, a recognition that until Congress approved the spend report, that the money wouldn't be uh, dispersed for these purposes, I envisioned a, a food fight, if you will, over the report uh, six weeks from now, eight weeks from now. But meanwhile, all the government agencies are open and federal employees are, are working and, and receiving paychecks. Um, and there have been ideas. There have been ideas like that that say, hey, how about we reopen the rest of the government, accept this part, you know, we can we can excise an appropriation. How about we just shut down this part of the government, right. you know, but the that, wall or no wall part of the government. And, and the answer back is, no, that's our leverage. That's what keeps you showing up for this conversation. Right. right. And that's why, and, and that has not been accepted by, uh, by the administration yet. And so what I was trying to come up with is, uh, you know, a contingent authority where, where, where there was funds authorized for a broad range of, of, of border security purposes but contingent on a next round of negotiation, but that next round occurs with government open. Again, the, there's a couple of flaws to it. I get it. One flaw is what you astutely pointed out, which is, um, does the, is the executive branch really held? And, and if, if not, then, then the, uh, the Democrats in this case have, have conceded the authority for the funds they don't want to concede. And so that, that would, you know, that would make my solution not as appealing to both sides. Um, so, uh, what's interesting is if you really if you peel back some of the discussions on both sides, that as you pointed out at the beginning, um, I kind of gave you a little bit of a hard time for simplifying, but it is a 
it is a short podcast. Um, uh, you know, there is lots and lots and lots of common ground. The issue really comes down to um, whether it's exclusively about border security or whether there is um, some immigration reform. And I frankly think that that is such a big, unresolved, difficult issue that, um, you know, 22 days is not enough time um, for, you know, something that has been years and years and years back and forth and, you know, turned into such a partisan and wedge issue. And so I think we're, again, getting dangerously close to the politics side of it, but the simple fact is this is an example of where the mechanics of the government is really kind of um, reliant on a continuous, ongoing, um, trust-based, comedy-supported um, engagement in the debate of politics. And I think that, you know, that's where, that's where we've kind of um, broken down here. Yeah. Well, Thanks for blowing big giant holes in my my brilliant idea, Dan. No, I I, I want to say no, it's it's kidding. an idea, right? I think that's yeah. what I think more more people have to have ideas, and I think part of those ideas have to be around um, creating a mechanism by which we stop using the basic operations of the government and the the basic ability of dedicated, hardworking public servants to you know become to become hostage to uh, political debates because, you know, that's not in the best service of the long-term interest of, of the population and the institutions. Um, you know, when I was GSA administrator, as we were going into the shutdown we dealt with, and I, it was just a baby shutdown. What was it like 10 days or something? I can't quite remember. I think it was longer than, I think it was like 16 days. I'm going to say October, 2013. Yeah. It was about 16. Yeah. Well, we began to get scarily close to some, some having to take certain actions that I believed would have long-term and permanent implications on the cost of government and for the, for the worse. And that is, um, you know, we had some about $6 billion of leases a year in close to 10,000 different office buildings spread across the country. And the great thing about having a federal tenant is that we're pretty darn good about paying the bills and paying them on time. Well, we had funds within the, um, within the federal building fund that would allow us to continue to pay those leases while we um, didn't have an appropriation. It was enough of a balance. But you began to head towards a month and um, we wouldn't have enough money to pay the leases and pay the utilities and continue to do emergency or necessary maintenance. And so what I was concerned about was what happens when a landlord who has given us a particular kind of credit rating, you know, given us an assumption about what our credit worthiness is, suddenly finds that they may not get, you know, uh, a lease payment on time once a year or every other year that fundamentally changes the quality of the tenancy, changes your you know, credit rating to that landlord, changes whether they're interested in leasing to you at all, and certainly changes the price. Yeah, and I think, that's right. I think, yeah. 
I think that happens with the contractors too, the federal contractor. If you're a contractor and you're like, okay, I will, I don't know, I'll rebuild that computer system for you, uh, um, agency XYZ. But now I have to build into the price the fact that I may get suspended 12 months into it. Um, if I'm a computer programmer and I'm offered a job working out here in Silicon Valley or working for a firm that does government contracting, and, and I know that every 11 months or so I could be put on a, a, a three-week unpaid hiatus and the contractors don't get paid back. Right. That changes my calculus about whether I want to do that work or not. It changes the price of the bid. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, let's continue the discussion around how the shutdown, its impacts really morph and are dynamic as you go deeper in. And, and we're now in uncharted territory um, and what, what that could mean. So, uh, so we'll catch that on the other side of the break. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. Gov Actually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. All right, Danny, we're back. Uh, and um, I'm, I'm still feeling guilty from the first half where I, uh, I, 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 pushed your idea off the cliff, but uh, I still think that's what we need is we need ideas. And I was, yeah, I, I think just, just to wrap that, that up, I was trying to figure out how to create an avenue in which the political fight is continued in all its glory, but in a way in which the government is open and federal employees are back at work and that, and that, you know, and that the fight and that both parties could walk away feeling like, okay, that round was a tie and uh, or not really resolved, and we're now going to the next round, and we're going to fight it out over this. What I had this idea of this report, or whether the funding was actually going to get the funding that was originally authorized was going to get triggered. But as you pointed out, there's but maybe that seed can morph into um, something that uh, that is more viable. Yeah, I think I think there could be something. I think there could be something in there, but again, it requires people to come to the table and and have a level of of trust that allows people to negotiate a position that doesn't have a unilateral winner. Yeah. Um, because the way it's set up right now, you can't have a unilateral winner, and I think that that's going to be the change from kind of single party government to divided government because divided government means that uh, you got to figure out a compromise that lets, you know, both people say that they won in some way. That's where I was, that's what I was trying to get to. Um, But I, I personally don't believe that our politics now I'm getting danger and dangerous territory, but again, I'm saying it's bipartisan. It doesn't have to be zero sum. I'm not sure why it has to be, perceived as either 100% this or 100% that. And that's why we have a shutdown. Um, I, I actually think this country was built on, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and too much of this sometimes and not enough of that. And, and then we, we fix it. 
And I, so, I, I'm a big, I might've brought the, this concept up on the podcast before this concept of Maslow's hierarchy, which is like this mm-hmm. thing you learn in psych 101 in college. <laughs> the, the concept of Maslow's hierarchy is the human condition is, is that, is that you, you worry first about food, shelter, and clothing. And if you don't have either of those checked off, then that's all you're going to focus on. And you can't get into higher levels of thinking of happiness and self-actualization and all these other things if you don't check the box and have food, shelter, and clothing down. Um, and, and, you, you, and, and, and in your life, if suddenly food, shelter, and clothing is called into question, you immediately focus on that. And my, my, my gut is telling me is that right now we have a food, shelter, clothing problem with federal employees where... Um, where, where a lot of hardworking federal employees who don't, who, who don't make a lot of money and don't have a lot of savings and are living paycheck to paycheck, um, even if they uh, are uh, protected with back pay by legislation that I think is being considered now, if the shutdown were to move on for weeks or months, it becomes a completely untenable situation. And so my instinct is, I, I, like, we got to solve that. We gotta we gotta get federal employees back to work in any way we can, um, and and if and how do you do that and preserve the political um, positions of these parties, which is in my mind higher level on on Maslow's hierarchy. Let's let's food, shelter, and clothe people first, then let's tackle the, the higher level thinking. I was trying to think of a way to do that, but let's let's go back to the 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 shutdown implications. Um, one thing that I that that I think is really important about shutdowns is is they do change over time. And you know, you and I have been involved in shutdowns in a variety of different ways. For a long time, I was at OMB, um, you know, coordinating the guidance and the the drills to get ready for shutdowns. Um, and then both of us were uh, in uh, leading uh, federal agencies when the October two thousand thirteen shutdown occurred. And and I recall. That you know that the lawyers at OMB would 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 tell me that that the the way in which an agency or an organization handles a shutdown will be different in week five versus week one. That that you're constantly assessing um, whether any of the exceptions uh, are triggered. That you that you have an exception and you can do the function that is otherwise not funded because the the appropriation has lapsed. Because of some reason, for example, that there's an imminent threat to life or health or property. And in week one, there might not be an imminent threat to life or health or property, but in week five or six, there might be. And we're right. seeing that well, we're seeing that play and, out right now. And it also it that that is another process that relies on a certain level of um of of kind of trust and comedy and integrity about the application of those definitions. Remember the, the real you, I remember, I remember listening to you on the, on the uh, conference calls reminding us that, you know, people who work in violation of the shutdown order are committing an anti-deficiency act violation. And that's an individual and personal, um, um, you know, uh, a, a statute that has individual and personal criminal liability. And so I'm wondering in the case where, where people are, 
are being asked back to work, you know, I do, do individuals need to get lawyers to assess? Are they going to rely on legal opinion? It gets very complicated because at some point there is this kind of impatience with the shutdown and the need for this work to be continued. And so I, I think actually that's why shutdowns themselves have kind of um, uh, jumped the shark in terms of their effectiveness. Well, I think, well, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that on a couple of levels. First, All right, good. good. You're going to get back at me. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Two things, two reactions to that that I disagree with. One is on your question, I absolutely, you always have to be super careful about the Anti-Deficiency Act and, and take a very kind of conservative approach because you want to stay, stay clear of that line. Um, but, but my sense is, is if, if that the general counsel and the leader of your organization have updated the shutdown plan uh, to trigger activities and OMB has approved that shutdown plan, that, uh, that I, don't need, I think you can come back to work and I don't think you need to, to hire a lawyer. I think you're, you're good. Um, that's my, that's my, my personal opinion that the, that you're covered by the fact that the, uh, the organization itself has, uh, has, has created the, uh, the, 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 the allowable structure to do your work. So that's one thing. That's reassuring. Yes, I'm sure. Um, but did that ever happen? Did the, like, did the IG ever come back and do a report on an agency shutdown and said, no, you brought too many people back in. Did the GAO ever do an anti-deficient, you know, did any agency have to do? I don't recall, but my instinct tells me that if they did, they would come back and not say, you have violated the anti-deficient. Yeah, yeah. no, I think they, you're right. I think, I think they would but I, I wonder, did, I, I'm curious actually, you know, um, because because it's it's kind of uncharted territory, it's assumed to be temporary and short-term in nature. I think that there is a sense that, um People are doing their best in a difficult situation. But if it extends on very long, I wonder the, the room for error begins to grow. You know, the error band begins to grow. And I wonder if IGs now are, you know, would be scrutinizing shutdown lists, whether there would be anti-deficiency act violations explored, if not actually found to be the case. I yeah, I mean, again, we're in uncharted territory, right? So, um, but but I think there are certain. I think we would have to learn that lesson once this shutdown is done. Like, you know, I think I don't. I, I think as long as everyone is acting in good faith uh, around tr- assessing these exceptions and trying to figure out the the appropriate legal read of them, I think there are. You know, you, if you say, okay, I'm going to restart this activity uh, after five weeks of being shut down, I am deciding with my lawyers and, and getting OMB approval that this activity that I had paused, um, I'm now going to restart because five weeks later, the circumstances have changed. From my experience, there's, there's likely a lot of gray area in terms of interpreting your assessment of whether that activity is um, is truly necessary to prevent, for example, uh, life or safety or health. Um, but I don't think it's you know I don't think there's a situation where they're going to come and say you definitively got the answer wrong because if you were acting in good faith, I think the next step would be um, well let's rethink the guidance. We have to be clear because even though you're acting in good faith, 
you really didn't land the answer correctly. Um, and so, and so I just think it'd be something that would be continuously reviewed. I don't think it would be something. And, and, and is there any, is there any real time component to this? I mean, because at this point you're at like, you know, you're at a month, right? So at one point, you know, it's early on every, you know, to the extent that IGs are back in. And I mean, I, I think actually did, did IGs, I, I think that they're, are they exempt or is it, uh, you would know this. Are, is, are they exempt as a blanket exception or are they, or do no, they have I, to? I, it's my understanding mm. that they're just like any other entity. And if there are, you know, activities that can be paused, um, like longer term audits. Um, and in particular, there might not be any people at the agency to ask questions to around <laughs> like an administrative audit. Well, but if what something about, is, what about it, callback lists then? What about the, what about the plan? Do just at some point, do IGs have to show back up to I mean, Congress, but Congress would potentially uh, – I mean, if you're asking whether IGs would investigate the the efficacy of a shutdown plan, I think you know Congress would have to maybe ask them to do it for a particular agency. Um, I'm not familiar with it happening, but I do, yeah. uh, you know, I do think it's something we need to get, to get better at, but we need, we need to get an IG on, on uh, gov actually yeah. is what we need to do. But, but you're just, but to the other point, there's another point that's kind of surfacing here, which is this question of does um, I actually really think this is one central question that we're dealing with right now as, as a country and a government is does the the process of bringing more employees back into the government as the shutdown extends into uncharted territory does that have the the um the implication or the 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 impact of blunting the impact of the shutdown and allowing and and reducing the pain in a way that means the shutdown's going to last longer and it's a vicious cycle of some kind and i'm not sure I, I believe that, that I'm not sure I know how to calibrate that risk, but right now I, I just feel like the pain is going to be there no matter what. Right. Because, because well, the pain of, is certainly felt by the employees exactly. because you can pass, you can pass legislation saying we're going to pay you eventually, but I, you know, I, I don't know how you go to the grocery store with that legislation. What do you show them the bill or something? No, that's, and, yeah. and, and if you are able, I know there are a number of federal credit unions that are extending credit to employees, which is, you know, fantastic. And I think, you know, patriotic, but, um, the last time I checked, they probably come with an interest rate and the, and the back pay doesn't come with, uh, with interest. So, you know, it's just a, it's a really, really difficult position for people who aren't engaged in the, in the political back and forth. They're simply trying to provide a necessary public service for which they were hired and an appropriation had been made available in the past. Yeah. And so my, you know, I just think that the, the shutdown is inherently disruptive and I don't, I just think that the, the pain will manifest itself differently. So while you might, you know, reduce the pain in a certain spot by bringing employees in and getting that done, more pain and different pain will pop up elsewhere. So, um, so eventually, you know, so again, you always have to make the, you have to make in good faith, the right decision based on the law and the facts of the, of the situation. But I just don't see a world in which we can essentially mitigate all the pain and get everyone feeling like, okay, there's no fallout. The, the shutdown as it goes further will continue to, to raise 
very significant problem. I mean, 800,000 people um, without a without a paycheck and dramatically changing their lives, their lifestyle, how they spend money has br- much broader economic impacts than just those 800,000 people. Um, and, it, you know, obviously we talked about contractors and you hear stories that are emerging of, you know, different, different types of individuals around the country, not just people that work in federal agencies or contractors like custodians or, or cafeteria workers, but also surrounding businesses, um, taxi cab drivers, Uber drivers, um, coffee shops, sandwich shops, all of which, um, you know, if, if people are staying home and not working, you know, it's, it has an impact. So, so eventually I, I just don't think you can fully mitigate you can mitigate oh, no. it. And, you and mitigate I'm, I'm worried about the long term. I'm, I'm worried about the long term impacts on the cost of delivering federal services, the ability to attract people to bid on those, those projects, the willingness for people to do that work. I, I wonder if it eventually gets to the credit ratings of individual federal employees. You know, one could argue like, Hey, yeah, that's a great federal job you have, but you know, it's entirely possible that every couple of years or so you're going to get put on a, you know, a indefinite hiatus in which you'll eventually get paid, but then I have to float you, you know? So yeah, I, I just worried about, I worry about the long-term implications. And since this is all pretty, you know, it's, it's a, it's a phenomenon that's only been created in the last really 20 years or so. We've only got a generation of it. They're viewed as, you know, very, very episodic and, and, and rare. And, but I, I think they've come with more frequency now <laughs> where it kind of feels like, you know, kind of feels like hurricanes. They've, they've gotten a little more intense, a little more frequent. Yeah. And you're raising another big issue here, which is, I mean, I think if there's been one consistent theme in, in our podcast for all the episodes that we've done, it's that you and I feel passionately that the right answer is to invest, not divest, but invest in federal employees in the workforce and in, in making sure we have the right talent with the right tools um, so that so that people can have, uh, you know, be attracted to come to federal government to carry out these these highly important and mission critical functions and and you can and you could believe that government should be much smaller right. you could you could go whichever way you want on the political spectrum but regardless of which way you go you want the best possible people with the best possible tools doing the best possible job and and the idea of somehow just kind of continuing to grind down the efficiency and the efficacy of that service um, and think that in any way that's, you know, that's in service of, of well, the, the nation more broadly, I think, is missing the point of the exercise of legislating. And, and that's what we're missing. That's why we don't have uh, an appropriation. Right. I guess because my- we don't we don't have the trust. We don't have the comedy. We don't have. But that's that's once again, it's getting towards politics. I just say that that's where the politics begins to ramp straight into the mechanics of operating the government. Yeah. And I, I just, and you know, it's just it's like, this is a gloomy podcast, but I just will throw, you know, reemphasize that, uh, that, that the, one of the lasting challenges that we're going to have is, um, is this, is, is, is recruiting and thinking about uh, government careers differently. I mean, I think you, 
you know, in, in general, I think in many cases and in many parts of the government, you make, you know, less money than you would otherwise would in the private sector, you know, whether you're a, a doctor or a nurse or a scientist, um, a lawyer, an accountant, an IT specialist, the data scientists, all of those people that are currently inside government, I think each of those, you could probably make a case, could make more money outside government, but we need those people inside government to, to carry out their, their, you know, to, to carry out the a mission critical purpose, whether it's a smaller government or a larger government. Um, and, you know, one of the things that was always, you know, true about the government is, you know, this concept of job security and, you know, the pay, you know, you could work for a company and that company could go bankrupt and your paycheck might disappear. And there's always that risk in the private sector that you wake up one day and you're, the company was there, gets bought out and you're out of a job or, um, or they go bankrupt. The government always, you know, the promises that and, and why it's such a part of the appeal. And in, in addition to, to the, the, the uh, you know, the inspiration of, of public service and the impact you can have is the security of, of the job and, and, and your ability to know that, that you can put food on the table for your family um, uh, as long as you hold that job and as long as you're working um, and, and putting that good faith effort into your job. And that's not happening right now. I mean, the, the fact that federal employees are showing up to work every day right now and working in whether they're TSA agents or Coast Guard or members of the Coast Guard are not getting paid is um, damages the, the overall construct of what it means to be in public service and, and what the benefits are. And that, so, that is where so I, I have a, I have a different idea Please. about maybe how to prevent shutdowns in general. And I know there's, there's some idea there that's got a kind of a populist component to it that says, Hey, let's not pay Congress. If, you know, if any part of the government is shut down, but then, you know, if you're a high net worth individual in Congress, maybe that doesn't feel so bad, you know, but what about one of the things I wonder is, are the, are the exceptions just too broad, right? Is it, is it saying like, look, you, you know, you shut down except where there's life safety and blah, blah, blah. And just say, no, 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 that the constitution doesn't really talk about life safety, et cetera, et cetera. The constitution says it's either appropriated or it's not. What if the shutdown was a hard shutdown? What if you didn't appropriate it and no one could come to the office? Period. Full stop. That's, I mean, that. Do you think there would be shutdowns? No. Exactly. Because, so because I think to some extent. Airports would shut down. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And I think to some extent what we've created is this, is this fiction, this idea that we can continue to operate the government and not pay the people to do it. And somehow we'll pay them back and it'll be okay. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So without the long-term implications, I think that then maybe because we've run into this issue of political absolutism, then maybe we need operational absolutism and say, look, if you haven't appropriated for the agency, you can't run the agency period. I, you know, I don't know where the exceptions came from. We may need an appropriations lawyer to come talk to us about it. So, yeah. I mean, we have, I've, we've spent a fair amount of time on a pro, on shutdowns. I know. Podcasts I know. We coming up. But that's because, but that's because we operated in this world where there were these kind of elaborate, um, you know, uh, opinions and, you know, about life safety, et cetera. And then the definitions and, but what, what if it was actually just simply much more clear? I think to some extent, 
as we've found our way through this world of, of, you know, repeated shutdowns and try to create ways that we kind of protect the American people from the, you know, from the absolutism of the politics, we've actually maybe created some additional room for that, that absolutist politics to kind of flourish and grow. Well, maybe this, as we wrap up, maybe this shutdown will be the wake up call to think differently about the risks associated with shutdown and, and in particular, long-term shutdowns, like we're, we're, we seeming to be, seeming to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I keep hoping that I'm going to look at my phone and there's going to be a breaking news of some type of change in the dynamic. And there's a deal that's being, that's, that's being, uh, worked on, um, and you never know, like, you know, you, you could feel one day like the shutdown's never going to end. You wake up the next morning and we're on the precipice of a, of a breakthrough. I, I hope that happens. And, you know, I know, I know there's, at least based on, on my understanding, just walking around uh, in DC, I know there's a lot of federal employees that listen uh, to the podcast and, um, and just, you know, I, I don't know, I don't even know what to say other than I, I'm hoping and praying that um, that things change quickly, uh, because uh, because I, I I can imagine, but in some ways I can't imagine um, the the stress that's involved in, um, in in suddenly losing your paycheck uh, and the impact that's having on you and your family. So uh, you know I again hoping for a very very quick resolution here. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think in, as part of that resolution, though, I do think. Um, uh, ideas, thoughtful, um, constructive, fact-based, trust-based, comedy-based ideas like yours um, are, are pursued and rule of the day and, and that we don't have to get to a world where we go to stark absolutist approaches like mine <laughs> that, uh, that uh, you know, only heighten pain and, and create um, um, you know, further consequences and, and implications. But yeah, you the, know, the, the, the bigger point is that, that this is no way to run a railroad. And, you know, this is the biggest and most substantial thing that people have ever done, the U.S. federal government. And yeah, my need to fix it. I'll, I'll, give, I'll offer this as my final word. When I, was, when I was at the IRS, you know, and we were under a lot of scrutiny and, and, and I don't know, a lot of criticism, I would tell people, you know, we're the IRS, you know, being unpopular. It's, it's in the brochure. And this is, we should, you know, in some ways we have to wear this with a, a, a badge of honor. Like that, that, that's it. Being an, un, you know, you're the tax collector, it, you know, being unpopular is in the brochure. Working without pay is not in the brochure. <laughs> it's not anything that I think. And if, and if it was, a whole lot of people would put down that brochure and, and, and go looking for a different one. Yeah. And to your point, we, we need, we need as many great people not only picking up the brochure and looking at uh, the government as an opportunity to make maximum impact. We need the people who are there to keep picking up that brochure and believing in what they're doing. And, and I could see how this makes it harder and harder. Yeah. All right. All right hopefully Danny. when we get together next time, we get back to more mundane gov actually topics than. Yeah. This. Well, let's do something cheery and fun, like have an IG on or something. Oh, that sounds really fun. All right. All right, take care. Enjoy the West Coast. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod 
or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.